know these people who have it all figured out? Well, they don't. At least not all of it. They don't have everything figured out. But I can tell you they do have something figured out. You do too. And that's what this show is about. Figuring out what you have figured out. Figuring out what you don't have figured out. And by figuring out how you figured out what you have figured out, figuring out how to figure out what you don't have figured out. Don't worry. I've got it all figured out. Welcome, welcome. In this episode of I've Got It All Figured Out, I talk with Alicia Thomas, a friend of mine that I met at church in Minnesota. She is so much fun to talk to, so down to earth, and I'm so glad that she was willing to share her health journey with us. I will let her tell her own story, but much of this interview is spent talking about adapting to a gluten-free lifestyle out of necessity due to celiac disease. I know that not everyone who will listen to this podcast is dealing with an autoimmune disease, but I think that everyone who will listen to this podcast is dealing with being alive, unless there is some way that I have a disembodied demographic accessing this, in which case I'd like to see that reflected in my listener statistics. But seriously, we all have bodies, which means we all have temptations to do things that are not for our ultimate health and vitality. So if this discussion is helpful to you because you are considering or in need of switching to a gluten-free diet, that's great. But even if you're not, I would not be surprised if you are feeling like you need to make changes in your life to better your health. It's physical, mental, spiritual, anything. I know sometimes there are changes we have a hard time making because they are difficult. And sometimes you think that if you got sick, like if I got some kind of diagnosis, then I would have to change and wouldn't that be a relief? I I wouldn't have to decide anymore. And there may be some truth to that, but ultimately, no matter what the stakes are, we're the ones who have to change. And change is rarely instantaneous or easy. We also talk about regretting that our kids aren't having that same open field, come back when it gets dark kind of childhood that we enjoyed. We talk about body image, food focus in the United States, functional medicine. I make some shocking, well, I make some parenting confessions. Alicia talks about deciding to get breast implants and deciding to get them out. And extra points when you hear my favorite line from the episode, quote, I'd rather have the glutinous version. Let's go. We are starting this, and this is how we're going to start it. You're going to tell us all about you. Oh, gosh. Um, or the high points. I don't know. Just, you know, where did you, you grew up in southern Utah. I did. I grew up in southeastern Utah in a little town called Moab. Um, it is a beautiful red rock desert, and I'm the youngest of five children. My parents moved there during the uranium boom, um, which is probably the last thing that put that place on the map aside from tourism. Um, mm. there, I don't know that there's any kind of other industry happening in that town. Tourism. Is that where Arches is? Indeed. Is Arches? Yep. Okay. Arches National Park, Canyonlands National Park. Um, it is an outdoor mecca. There is river rafting. There is four-wheeling. There's... Um, so many places to go hiking there's mountain biking is is huge 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 there um it's just a beautiful beautiful place and there's so much to do outdoorsy um other than that there's really not much to do (laughs) so are you an outdoorsy person so that was a good fit for you or rather that became you because of your environment you know growing up that way i feel like in order to stay out of trouble i i did do all that stuff Um, I, the older I have gotten and the more children I have had and the further away I have moved, I, I don't think I've stayed as outdoorsy as I would have liked to. And now that I'm living in Minnesota and I don't like cold because I grew up in a hot desert, um, you know, I just don't get outside as much as I should during the half of the year that's freezing here. Um, but I do love, I do love to go hiking. That's my favorite. I was never good at mountain biking. Uh, A few summers ago, I was really excited that my kids were all old enough to take them river rafting in Moab, and we got to do that. Um, We, I took them to Delicate Arch, and that was really fun. That's one of my favorite hikes in arches. That's Mm -hmm. the very iconic red rock arch that you see on postcards and calendars and stuff like that. License plates. License plates, exactly. So... Uh, yeah, I think that it, growing up in a small town, I think we had, you know, five or 6,000 people live there. Um, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. So you could either do that outdoorsy stuff or you could find yourself getting into trouble. So 
I did a lot of outdoorsy stuff with my you friends. You made the right call. You yeah. Made the right call. Yeah, I had good friends. We all liked to do that stuff together. And and so, yeah, I grew up there. Uh, we moved there when I was little, little, little. And so I grew up in the same house and had wonderful neighbors and a wonderful community. Um, kind a of charmed childhood. Really, truly. I mean, I, I know how blessed I am to have had that because so many people did not. And I mm-hmm. had, you know, out my front door across the street was a mountain and behind my house was a big open field. And those, that was my playground. That's where I spent my days, you know, was outside playing and I was tanned and I was <laughs> lean and I was, <laughs> I mean, and it was the kind of childhood where it was safe and we were out until dusk and you hear your mom calling you from the front porch and uh, you go home, you know, but other than that, I was, I was outside all the time. So, oh my gosh, that sounds so foreign. Yeah. To the experience my kids are having. Exactly. I think that, and it kind of breaks my heart because my kids are not getting that at all. And it very much is a different world we're living in um, than it was, you know, 40 years ago. So it is I do kind of wonder how my kids are going to describe their childhood. Mm-hmm. Do you know, is it going to be like, because I feel, I feel like my childhood was great. Like it was magical. Yeah. Even though it wasn't like perfect, but it was same kind of thing. Like there was a lot of outdoors. We spent time, we had a fair amount of television watching as well. At least I did. I was the youngest of six by that time. You know, parents are like, whatever. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, but I also got outside and had my imagination run wild and, you know, mm-hmm. we'd find, we'd repurpose stuff, you know, kind of empty field kind of stuff, riding bikes. Absolutely. And, you know, now I live in a place with an HOA, like there are no, empty, I don't even know if you'd be, I don't, Whose fields were those? We didn't know. Yeah. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Like, no. As far as I could tell. But now it doesn't seem like that's even a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of heartbreaking when you think about it. And I even last time I was in Moab, I went back to show my kids um, my house where I grew up. And um, the mountain is starting to fill up with houses. The field behind the house is full of houses and businesses mm. now. Um, so, you know, those places that I was used to playing are, are just disappearing, um, getting chipped away. And it definitely did make me think, you know, my kids just don't have that either. And, and, uh, I would love that for them. Um, but I just don't know that that's in the cards for our children in this generation. Right. You're just like, well, I'm going to drive you to a field, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's not even a. And drop that, that you and your friends the off purpose. there to play for the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And then here's two bucks to go to the store. Exactly. And, and, and you know. yep. And, and not worry about, uh, you know, no cell phones or anything. Just, you we're just going to leave you and you're going to hang out there all day and hope that you're okay. Um, so, yeah. Well, I don't imagine my mom was at home biting her nails, wondering if I was no. all right. No, absolutely not. My mom wasn't either. Not yeah. at all. Um, so it was, it was a good childhood. I had loving parents. I had a happy house, a happy home. Um, and I wanted to get out of that little town by the time I graduated high school. And so I went um, to Dixie um, in St. George, Utah. Mm-hmm. And I loved it there because it was very like Moab. It also was red rocks and even hotter, drier desert. Um, and a little bit bigger than Moab is, quite a bit bigger, I guess. So I went there, and um, my freshman year, I met my husband, and we met at the testing center at Dixie, where I worked, and we had a lengthy engagement, uh, or a lengthy courtship, I mean, of three weeks before he proposed. Okay. Yeah, and we were married four months later. And um, shortly thereafter, six months later, we were expecting our first child. So we jumped right on that bandwagon of parenthood pretty quickly off the bat. And I was a young mom. I am a young mom. I still am, I guess, because, you know, I'm 41 and my oldest is 20. So mm-hmm. um, once we started down that path, it, it was just like kid after kid. And it was getting him through college. And I kind of was doing college here and there. 
while I was raising the little ones and uh, still haven't finished my degree. I'm, I'm getting there, slowly but surely getting there. Um, and kind of moved all over the place. Um, we all over Utah, went to Switzerland for a year, uh, back to Utah, Indiana for a few years, back to Utah again, and, and now we're in uh, Minnesota, which is our definitely by far our longest stretch of being anywhere. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Yeah, we just passed our six-year mark here, and it felt pretty amazing uh, to, to be in a place. It feels amazing to be in a place where I feel like we're settled. I feel like this is home. I, we are happy here. We love our people around here, and um, we don't feel like we're going to be going anywhere soon. So it's lovely. It's lovely to That's not great. be moving. Yeah. So... That's that's the quick version of my life story. Wonderful. And so we met in Minnesota at church. We did indeed. That's how we know each other. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, Alicia, what do you feel like you have figured out? One of the things I feel like I have figured out is how to manage celiac disease and a gluten-free diet. Oh, yes. Yeah. So... I'm guessing it's been 10, 11 years, maybe. I was I was pregnant with my number five. So it's been 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago, that I got diagnosed with celiac disease. So what were your symptoms? My symptoms were not your typical symptoms. Um, my symptoms were headaches and fatigue and joint pain, um, yeah, just really hair loss, a lot of, of a lot of fatigue, just crazy tired. Um, and so it was just on a whim that I got tested. My sister um, was tested just a couple months before I I was tested, and she didn't have a lot of the typical symptoms either. But she was diagnosed, and she said, "You know, why don't you just have your doctor run this test and um, just see." And sure enough, I was positive for celiac Hmm. disease. So it's just a blood test that they do. And then in order to confirm that it really is celiac, I I guess there's a very small percentage of false positives. Um, They will usually do an endoscopy and they will stick a little camera down uh, your throat. You, You get knocked out for it and they'll look at your intestines and see if there's damage. And they usually do a biopsy and all of this. I was fortunate to not have to live through that because I was pregnant and they wouldn't do one of those while I was pregnant. Nice. Yeah. So, and the blood test was good enough for me because um, previous to this, I was not aware, but it is very much uh, a hereditary predisposition for it. My dad, yeah, my dad had it and then both my sisters have it. And now I have it um, and two of my children have it. So... So, well, so far, hopefully the rest of them don't have to deal with it. But um, So is this something that presented later or is it something yeah. that you always had and you were unaware of it? No, it definitely presented later for me. Um, my understanding uh, is that it can be triggered by um, a, a major lifestyle change, a, a major hormonal change, um, and I suspect that for me, it was my pregnancy, my fourth mm. pregnancy that triggered it. Um, and that is, I just never felt like after I had her, I never felt like I rebounded. I never felt good again. Um, and I was always tired and I couldn't lose weight and I was losing hair and I just was miserable. It just didn't feel yeah. good. And yeah. so doctor after doctor, nobody could find anything wrong with me. My thyroid was fine. All my other tests were fine, blah, blah, blah. And um, finally figured this out just, again, on a whim. I didn't have any of the typical symptoms. So a doctor's not going to think, oh, we should test her for celiac disease. Mm -hmm. But because I requested it, he did. And um, so, yeah. And and most people, I think, when they get that diagnosis, all they're told is, you know, it's an autoimmune disease. There's not a cure for it. You just have to do a gluten-free diet for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And they send you on your way. At least that's what happened to me. That's a, a lot to put on somebody's shoulders. Changing your diet to a gluten-free diet is no small task. And mm-hmm. 
um, with no other guidance than that, um, it, I, it was a, I was a wreck. I was, I had some ideas because my dad had had celiac disease before he passed. And because, um, my sister had it, I, you know, I knew what a gluten-free diet entailed. I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, very blessed to be born in a day and age where there are numerous products, just all kinds of products out there mm-hmm. that are gluten-free. But what the doctors don't tell you, um, well, maybe a good doctor will, but my, my doctor, bless his heart, he, he was just a general practitioner and he didn't send me to a specialist or anything. He just said, go gluten-free. And uh, it's just not that simple with celiac disease. Um, when you go gluten-free, if all you do is just switch over to gluten-free products, um, you're not going to get that much healthier. You might shave off some of your symptoms, but those gluten-free products are packed full of fats and sugars and... and um, Still a lot of refined carbs, even lot, if it's not flour. Yes, just a lot, a lot of highly processed foods just in order to make them taste and resemble glutinous food. And so, um, I don't want to, I don't want to badmouth these gluten-free products too much because they really are, um, useful in transitioning, right? But they ultimately do not do anything for your health. Mm. And so, Nobody told me that, you know, nobody explained to me that you're just going to be a whole lot healthier if you eliminate those things with gluten. Don't try to replace all of them because the replacements are not any more healthy than if you were eating gluten. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Oh, absolutely. And uh, just like when you take the sugar out of things. Yeah. But then put in, I mean, because what are you going to replace it with? It's something that's super. You want it to taste good still. Mm -hmm. And so. I, and, and I also very much went through a phase, probably years, this phase of, um, feeling deprived, you know, right. feeling like I couldn't have, um, something. And so when I could, when I found something that I could have, I overate it. It created a very unhealthy relationship with food, mm. um, which I think I didn't have a great relationship with food anyway. Yeah. That was my next question was, how did you feel like it was before? Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it was a healthy relationship with food because, um, again, I don't want to blame somebody else, but I was raised in a house where food is love. You mm-hmm. know, food is comfort. And um, my mom was an amazing baker and cook, and um, she taught me well. And I can, I mean, I'm not as good as she was yet, but, sh- but she was just fantastic. And um, we, we had comfort foods, and she would you know, food could be a reward and food could be, um, a sign, a show of love. And, and so I, I, I just feel like food is a, is a complicated thing. It's a, I wish it was not, but I feel well, like yeah, it is. You say it's like your house and I'm all, is it your house or is it just the world? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. any place where I guess maybe in a culture or in a country where you don't have access to as much food as we have here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I think we've probably become more food focused. Yes. Like when we were growing up, I don't remember anybody being like a foodie. No. Like this idea. I don't like, either. And you didn't have nearly just the selection that we do no. now. Mm-mm. Like you go to the grocery store. I remember there were yellow apples, red apples, and green apples. And hard stop. Yep. Right? Like that Absolutely. was it. Yep. And that doesn't even compare to like, and you know, now you've got the food network, you've got Pinterest, you've got all these things. And there's like, way more restaurants, like from all over the world and with different kinds of, it's just become like an even bigger obsession. Yes, it's yes, absolutely. Um, And I think that there's there is a, a level of fascination with food. Like you said, there's accessibility to just about anything you want, especially depending on where you live now. And, um, I think that did come into play with, with my unhealthy relationship with food where I grew up. Um, my, my parents didn't just feed us unhealthy stuff. They actually made things from scratch. You know, we had Mm -hmm. a garden, our whole side yard in our, in our yard was a garden. And every year we were canning, we were pulling weeds out of that garden. We were picking the fruit and the vegetables and we were canning every year. 
And my mom just made everything from scratch because that is what she knew how to do. And, and we didn't have a lot of money. And so that's how we cooked. So I did get those, those, um, healthy, you know, nutrient rich things. Right. Um, you guys weren't eating out of a box or through a drive through Sometimes the older, the older I got as a teenager, uh, there was less of that. You know, we didn't have a garden anymore and, mm-hmm. um, my mom was working and she wasn't, a full-time mom anymore. She didn't have the time to dedicate to those homemade from scratch everything, you know? Right. And so the older... Or the energy. I'll throw that out oh, there yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't... Just a shout out to moms who work. Yes. Oh, my goodness. You're amazing. Amazing. Like, when you have two parents working, I can't even imagine. No. No. I, I don't know how she did it. My dad was sick in his in his later years, and he was unable to work. And so... Sometimes she was just working two jobs and, wow. um, and I was the youngest and I was working, um, my, all my teenage years and often I would just eat. I, I worked at a sandwich shop and often I would just eat while I was at work and, mm-hmm. um, because that was right after my dad had been diagnosed with celiac disease and they were trying to figure out what to feed the poor man. Oh, right. And then you're at a sandwich shop. Yeah. So that's where you have access to a whole bunch of bread. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So... Um, and you know, way, way back then it took years for him to figure out what was wrong with, and to get his diagnosis back then, nobody really knew, um, about celiac disease. Doctors didn't think to test for it. He was, he was on death's door before he got diagnosed. And then it was just a matter of, um, uh, for, I mean, good in a good way for him, they didn't have all those products that we have now. So he really did just have to eliminate gluten from mm-hmm. his diet. He didn't have gluten-free bread. He didn't have gluten-free crackers or cereals or cookies or any of that crap. He mm-hmm. just ate fruits and vegetables and meats and yep. beans and nuts and seeds and all the good, healthy, unprocessed food we should be eating anyway. Mm-hmm. And so he he had a, a, a very different experience going gluten-free than I had. So was he able to turn it around? He was, yes. Oh, great. He was able to turn it around. Um, unfortunately for him, he also was suffering from type 1 diabetes, which is very much tied um, to celiac disease. I um, didn't know that. Yes, yes. Um, it's not it's, it's not common knowledge, which it really should be. But um, type, 1 diabetes, type 1 diabetes is, a, is an autoimmune disease. And when you have one autoimmune disease, you're two times more likely to get another. And so, um, you know, I have celiac disease. I also have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is another autoimmune disease. They are also t- uh, closely linked. So that's another thing. Um, I don't know a lot of doctors that will tell you that. But mm. um, when he got diagnosed, they said, you have probably had this disease active in your body for decades and you are so malnourished that it is going to take you years to rebuild the nutrient stores in your body. And it, it did. It took him a long time to heal his intestinal tract. It took him a long time before he started gaining weight again and looking healthy again. Um, but unfortunately, he did have type 1 diabetes and he had pretty severe heart disease. And so he didn't live that long after Mm. his diagnosis and, you know, a few, a few years, uh, but he was able to at least, um, start eating and thriving again. So yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was, a a rough transition back then, not having, um, all of the different, um, conveniences that we have now, all the, all the choices, mm-hmm. but ultimately probably healthier for him. So, right. Okay. We got off track a little bit. Okay. You were okay, you were talking about so what have you figured out about a gluten-free diet? Sounds like you stay away from the highly from the processed yeah, kind of yeah. marketed gluten-free foods. Yes. And uh, you know, again, I don't want to demonize those things. I have several of them in my house right now because I have a child who's gluten-free and I feel like it is really cruel to not have um some things that will help them feel like they are normal. If that makes any sense. She's She's 11. She's had it for three years. She's had celiac disease for three years. And it's hard when she goes to birthday parties or mm-hmm. um, other social gatherings and she can't eat what everybody else is eating. And I send food with her 
And I make sure that, and she's very good. She knows what she can and can't eat. Um, but sometimes it's just really nice to have a graham cracker mm-hmm. or an Oreo, you know? Um, I don't think we should be eating those things every day. Uh, right. They are not going to be helpful for us. And they're e- gluten-free or non. The, those right. just aren't healthy foods, you know? Um, but I, I also think that not having things like that available ever is going to create, uh, is going to backfire in the end. Right. You know, I would like to have moderation in all things. I would like to raise my kids with moderation and with self-control when it comes to food. Right. And so, you know, we do have those things, but really it's not going to help. It's not going to help you to eat any of those processed foods, breakfast cereals, chips and crackers and soda and granola bars, candy bars, even dairy is really hard on people with celiac disease. Some people um, I have noticed in myself definitely over the last few years, I I can't tolerate it anymore. Mm. Um, It makes me violently ill if I have much dairy. And so that's very common for people with celiac disease to develop a um, pretty severe lactose intolerance. And I feel much better when I don't eat it. Um, And so those processed foods, um, gluten-free or non, they create um, inflammation in your body. Mm -hmm. And that inflammation can lead to other autoimmune disease. And it can also um, exacerbate symptoms, you know, the joint pain, the headaches, the fatigue for sure, um, all of those things. And so, again, it's really tricky to find a doctor that's going to be very uh, open and honest about that. Doctors nowadays, bless their hearts, are just scared to tell people you have to change your lifestyle and your diet, you know, right. <laughs> they, instead they'll say, Oh, you want a pill? I'll prescribe you this. I'll prescribe you that. Um, but for some reason, at least in my experience and many people that I've talked to, a lot of doctors are just afraid to say, you can't do this anymore, or you need to eliminate that. Or, you know, it's, I, I guess it's hard for them to, confront people and say, you can't do that. That's bad for your health. Well, I think there's probably a number of things going on there. Now, my brother has type 2 diabetes, which is almost completely gone now since he's gone into a whole food plant-based diet. Absolutely. So he was kind of talking about that as far as that physicians don't believe that people will make the lifestyle changes. Yeah. So they can tell you to make those lifestyle changes, but you're not going to do it. But I think if I prescribe you this pill, that you will take this pill. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also sometimes, you know, these lifestyle things that, you know, the doctors aren't living that lifestyle. Right. Not necessarily. They're not necessarily living some really super clean um, dietary lifestyle. So then to be espousing this to other people. Feels hypocritical. Feels hypocritical, even though they did take their Hippocratic oath. Yeah. So maybe they are supposed to be hypocrites now that I think about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, In my search for healing over the years, I have been to so many doctors, and Mm -hmm. the only doctor that really uh, was willing to ask me to do very hard things was a um, doctor of functional medicine, Hmm. and she was an MD. She, she She was an MD, and then she decided to go into functional medicine after a time because of her own health problems, and that's often you'll find if you ever do go see a naturopath or, or a functional medicine doctor, it's usually they have their own story that w- that drove them to go into that path because they weren't finding what they needed through traditional uh, medical Western. pathways. Yeah, sure. So what is a functional, what did you call that? A functional medicine doctor. Functional medicine. Yeah, what is that? Uh, I would describe a functional medicine doctor as somebody who will treat the root causes of your illness rather than the symptoms of your illness. Okay. So it's just kind of a different approach. Yes. It's a different approach. They do not push um, medication on you. They will definitely push supplements on you. (laughs) (laughs) So many supplements. Um, But they are really interested in finding what's causing you to be sick and fixing that 
which I love. I would much rather be figuring out what is causing me to be sick and fix that than just take a drug that will mask my symptoms and not ultimately solve the sickness that's that's attacking my body. So um, that she was a fantastic doctor. Unfortunately, she is not practicing near me anymore. And so I can't see her, but she was the one that was like, okay, listen, um, she ran a, a ton of tests. Unfortunately, most insurances don't cover functional medicine doctors. And that's a, that's right. a bummer, but um, she ran a ton of tests. She found a lot of food um, issues that I had, sensitivities to other foods that I had. And um, she she challenged me to eliminate them all. And she wanted me to do a very strict elimination diet. She wanted me to cut out all kinds of toxins. She wanted me to do yoga three times a week. She wanted me to do, to make sure I was getting nine hours of sleep every night. Like she had a whole protocol for me. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot. It was overwhelming. It was too much for me to do at once. And so I, I, I failed, you know, I failed. Mm. And if I'm being honest, I didn't buy it all right off the bat. Right. You're all, <laughs> uh, you're a little crazy. Yeah. I was places. like, this is a lot, lady. This is a lot. And um, funny enough, uh, the food intolerance, she, you know, the tests came back and it said, Dairy and chicken and bananas were like my top three worst foods to cause inflammation in my body. And I just remember thinking, nobody's allergic to chicken. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, (laughs) you know? And so I really did not um, take her at her word. And I, I tried. I did try. And it was very difficult to do this elimination diet. Because, you know, at the time, I'm, I'm raising a family of five kids. And I'm trying to cook and and to do, to do it's just a whole other it's a whole other ball game trying to do an elimination diet for your health for yourself while mm-hmm. you are feeding a family and but years down the road lo and behold I start tracking my my food intake and what because I start getting randomly sick and I can't figure out why I'm getting so sick sure enough my trigger foods are dairy and chicken and bananas Hmm. And so even though those few years before I thought this is just bogus, I'm not buying this. Um, your body won't lie to you. You know, if you, if you notice you're having problems and you start a food diary, it will, it will be revealing to you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, um, I had to do a trial and error. I, I wish I, I would love to just help people figure out how to go gluten-free a healthy way, how to address autoimmune disease in a healthy way. And I I didn't have somebody holding my hand and helping me do that. And so it's taken me a decade to really figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still working on it. Um, right. But I have learned a lot. I have learned a lot. And I know that when I have a clean eating diet, I feel better. I feel very different. I have the energy that was gone. Um, I don't have the headaches. I don't have the weird joint pain. Um, I don't have all of the intestinal symptoms that come with food intolerances and other autoimmune disease. And so it's, but it is easier said than done. So if I'm doing clean eating and I mess up, I'm very hard on myself. Sure. And that's unhealthy. That's not helpful. And I wouldn't do that with my children, you Mm -hmm. know, I wouldn't do that with my spouse or my friends. I would never be so hard on them if they Mm -hmm. messed up. So why do I do that to myself? I don't know, but I'm working on not doing that. And so I've decided in order to give myself, allow myself some grace in this journey of, of, um, clean eating and finding my health, um, that I can't have absolutes. I'm not going to say I'm never going to drink soda again. I'm not going to say that I'm not going to have sugar in my house. I will have those things, I but I'm not going to do them all the time. And I'm not going to create habits out of them. I like the uh, 90-10 or the 80-20 rule you might have heard. Mm-hmm. You know, you, yep, you yep. eat healthy 80% of the time or 90% of the time. And the other 10 or 20%, you fudge. and And you don't beat yourself up about it. Because that's just not helpful. Um, and and it damages, m- for me, my already 
unhealthy relationship with food. <laughs> sure. So I, I don't want to, um, I know it's, it's easy to slip into like maybe a eating disorder or, um, you know, something along those lines. I know there have been times in my life where I have caught myself, you know, saying, Oh, that was not an, that was not a healthy approach. That was really dangerous. You know, I could, mm-hmm. I could find myself easily slipping into an eating disorder, binging and purging. And, you know, I, I just don't want to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So it's a battle worth fighting to create a healthy relationship with food. And I feel like when you have been diagnosed with celiac disease, you have to fight that battle because if you don't, your diet will ultimately impact your health negatively. If you just simply switch over to gluten-free products. It's, right. it's just not going to help you feel better. It's just not. You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking just recently about making a decision that you feel is right, but you're still kind of a martyr about it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to do this because I know it's the right thing to do. And it does mean that I have to say goodbye to my happiness for the rest of my life. <laughs> but it is the right thing yeah. to do. You know, and I'm like, what is that all about? Like, it's somehow, it's like, yes, I'm making the decision. I know I have the power of choice. And this is what I'm doing. I'm sacrificing myself. As opposed to being, you know what? I'm committed to doing what's right in this situation. Yeah. Or, you know, when, it's, when we're talking about a, a diet choice, I'm going to do this because even in the short term, if I'm saying no to some things, longer term, like feeling good is you know, for mm-hmm. a whole day is more important for, to me than feeling good for five minutes as I eat this yes. thing. And you'll have kind of an automatic, almost almost immediately after you do it, you're like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Yes. Especially as you become, as you have more knowledge and awareness, there's something like a kid, you know, my nine-year-old, he can eat a whole bag of candy and not even feel bad about it while he's doing it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as you get older and you know, as, and, and you know the, the effects of this, you can't even enjoy it while you're doing it. Right. But I think we're so associated to the supposed pleasure of the thing, like we focus on it so much. Oh my gosh, it's going to taste so good. Yes. Or this is going to be such a great thing. Yes. Um, and then we're eating it and we're like, wow, this isn't delivering what I thought it was. And mm-hmm. it starts to become this very, it's like a trap. Yes. Right. And you keep eating it and you're like, uh, mm, uh, I can't stop. I can't. Well, now I've already started, so I might as well. Might as well and then you it. find that it's still not fulfilling you. Yep. And then there's even more guilt after it. And then you start beating yourself up. And all because we're mixing up these pain and pleasure ideas. Yes. Yes. The pl- we're, we're so associated with that pleasure of the moment rather than thinking about the pain that's going to come from it and the pleasure that we're denying of ourselves later. Yes. And feeling like we've made a good choice. Feeling healthy, the pleasure of feeling good. Yeah. And disciplined and feeling like you Mm -hmm. have integrity and feeling like you can do the right thing. I mean, that's part of the thing. That's such a problem. Oh, yeah. We keep making the same mistakes. We stop believing that we can do the right thing. It's a crushing blow to your, to your, um, self-respect. Self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Your self-respect and, and you, and even just uh, pondering your own character. Yeah. Yep. Am I a good person? Yes. Yes. I feel that on a, on a very real level, <laughs> a very real level. And I, I wish that I knew how to instill that into my children. I'm trying. I mean, I am trying, but I, I wish I could really just like get that into their brains. I know. Don't you want to just give them 40 years of experience when they're <laughs> yes. nine or oh. 10? I just, and how receptive are they? Yeah. Yeah. They're not. No, they're not. They're <laughs> and they not. couldn't even accept it. And that's the whole thing is because we're like, oh, my gosh, I've got this figured out. I'm here to save you. And they're like, can't you just love me? And you're like, yes. Yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> right? But I'd really rather help you than love you. What you're I'd... telling me that loving you is how I help you. I don't know if I can believe that. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm really coming clean on this episode. This year. <laughs> I don't know what. It's hard. It's so hard. I just, I just look at, I mean, Kenzie, Kenzie's my oldest. She's 20. She's out on her own right now. And she is doing her gluten-free diet and she doesn't feel bad about not being able to eat what everybody else eats. And she, it's just, she's resigned to it and it's fine. And she finds things that she enjoys and she's, she's fine, you know? 
But I have my little 11-year-old, and she it, it still gets to her when people are eating something she can't have. Mm. And she still is definitely in that deprivation mindset. And I can see, I can see an unhealthy, uh, unhealthy habits forming. And I am, you know, my brain is screaming, Oh, stop, stop. What do we do? Stop, stop, stop. We got to fix this now. We got to fix this now. And, um, I'm trying, I mean, I'm trying, but like you said that it's hard for them to, to take in what we're putting down. So it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And I know they've got to make their own mistakes and that's what they're going to learn from. You know, we, I mean, when I first started going gluten-free and uh, I remember distinctly, uh, I would cheat and cheat and cheat and whatever. And then finally I was like, you know what? I've got to stop doing this. This, I've got to be strict. Mm -hmm. So I was for like three weeks and then we had pizza one night and I went ahead and ate myself a slice of pizza and I was so miserable. Mm. I was so sick. And it wasn't just, oh, run into the bathroom, you know, you know, it was days, days of being sick, days of, of fatigue and brain fog and joint pain and just not great. And I was like, okay, well, now I know. Now I know mm-hmm. that cheating is not worth it. Nothing. My, one of my mantras is nothing tastes as good as healthy feels. Yeah. And I I have to even 10 years down the road, I have to tell myself that I'm not I'm never tempted to eat gluten, but I'm definitely tempted to eat junk food. You know, Mm. I I love myself some junk food. So Cheetos are gluten free. Cheetos are gluten free. (laughs) Indeed, they are. They've been a health food for years. Yeah. Because they're gluten free. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, you know, it they're going to have to learn on their own. Uh, I can, I can try my very best to instill healthy habits as they are in my home and growing. And, you know, I can obviously be an example, but they're going to have to learn. I would say that it's probably easier for a kid to grow up gluten-free with a parent that's also gluten-free than otherwise, you know, Because that parent is is taking care of themselves as well as, well as their child, and and then they can educate them along the way. Mm-hmm. So it's there's a lot there's a lot to it. There's a lot to being gluten free. You know, it's not j- well to having celiac. It's not just going gluten free. You've got to, you know, you're going to be deficient in vitamin D. You're going to probably need to take a probiotic and a good a good multivitamin for the rest of your life. You mm-hmm. should definitely educate yourself on autoimmune disease, on um, celiac disease itself. You should educate your friends and family because it's a hard change for them too. Um, Right. And I still have um, people, you know, that really don't think that I'm doing it because it's, they don't, I've tried explaining this is a, a, a medically necessary diet. I'm not choosing to eat this way. Mm -hmm. It's not a fad. You know, and there are people that understand that. And there are people that choose not to understand that. And um, sometimes people that are close to you and in your family. (laughs) And so (laughs) it can be frustrating. You know, it can be frustrating. So you have to advocate for yourself. And Mm -hmm. you have to make very hard changes. But if you don't advocate for yourself, you will get sick. Mm. You know, and that's one thing I really instilled into my oldest before she went off into the world you know, listen, Kenzie, you, you just, you're done. You can't just eat something to be nice to somebody. Right. If it's going to make it, you know, if, if they spent four hours cooking it, you just need to say, I'm so sorry. I really appreciate your effort, but I can't eat this. It will make me sick. And, and don't feel bad about it. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that we have to do that. And sometimes we feel like a Karen being like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't eat that. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, asking the chef uh, or asking your waiter to double check with the chef to make sure that something's gluten free at a restaurant or, you know, uh, reading, reading the labels on on the food, everything that you buy, you have to read the label. It's not. And, you know, eventually you you fall into a routine and you know what products are safe and and such, but um, you really just do have to advocate for yourself. And and it is a lot of effort. It's a lot of effort, but it gets so much easier as you do it. And pretty soon you don't even think twice about it. It's part of your life. It's part of your cooking routine. And and 
it gets easier, I guess, is what I mean. It just, it does. Well, and these things, they get easier after you actually commit to it. Yeah. Right? So I mean, if much you have easier. kind of one foot in, in both camps, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not going to get easier. No. No, it, yeah. it really doesn't. Um, it's, you know, if you have celiac disease, a gluten-free diet is a commitment. You have, you have to full-on commit to it. It's not mm-hmm. something you can go back and forth on and expect to heal yourself and, and get your health back. But even those without celiac disease, there are a number of people I know who are intolerant to gluten. They don't have celiac, mm-hmm. but they are intolerant to gluten, and they feel just as sick as I do if they get into it accidentally, you know? Oh. And so you don't have to be diagnosed with celiac for gluten to, to make you sick. There's mm-hmm. um, a lot of people, they, they figure that out on their own. There's, there's um, you know, people that do Whole30 or paleo or something, and then they go back and they, they reintroduce gluten for the first time, and they go, oh, my gosh, I got so sick when I ate that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I have a, I have a number of friends who, who – aren't celiac, but practice a gluten-free diet just because they feel so much better doing so. so. That is great. Yeah. I'm glad you figured that out and, well, and you continue know, to figure it out. Yeah. I, I, I think I have. I definitely have more to learn. Um, but I think I've got it. I think I've got it pretty under wraps. I, I can easily cook. I can easily bake. I, I don't ever feel deprived ever. There's never anything where I'm like, oh, I can't have that. And I am so sad. And, you know, I can make whatever, whatever. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I have all the recipes. I mean, America's Test Kitchen um, has awesome gluten-free cookbooks. They have awesome uh, that you can make your own flour blend. And they have mm. the recipe in there. There's, I mean, there's a million blogs and cookbooks out there. It, it takes some time to learn because those flowers react very differently than, than a wheat flower would. But over the years I can make just anything and my family eats it. They love it. There's very few things that I make gluten-free that they're like, nah, I'd rather have the glutinous version. Hmm. Um, if I'm making something gluten-free, it's going to taste good because I don't bother eating food that doesn't taste good. It's just not, <laughs> you know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So you know, Thanksgiving comes around and all our pies are gluten-free and nobody's complaining. They are happy with it. They, it's, there is good gluten-free to be had. There is. Um, but you, it, it there's a learning curve. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, hey, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, I've got you here. Well, I would just say, put a plug in for a couple of a couple of um, influencers that had a, a good impact on me as I was learning and growing. And one of them is Dr. Amy Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. She is um, an expert on autoimmune disease and she has so many free resources and she has recipes and she has um just so many, so many articles, quizzes, things to help you figure out. Uh, she's a wealth of information and, and a true professional in the realm of autoimmune disease supplements. And she has her whole line of, of all kinds of stuff. But her books and her articles um, were instrumental in me mm. figuring out how to regain my health. Um I, if I could put into practice what she recommends every single day, I'm sure I would feel even better, you know. Mm. Um, but she does ask some hard things of you, too. So she is she is one. And then another one that's a little more off topic. Um, Lexi and Lindsay Kite are a couple of sisters. Um, and they have written a book called More Than a Body. And I love their work. They are very focused on... Um, seeing yourself as not just your physical body Hmm. and not just what you appear. And I feel like in the re in recent years, while I've put an extra effort on regaining my health, um, I have had to disconnect from the unrealistic beauty standards in our society. Um, from feeling like I needed to look good all the time, 
Um, I was very angry at my body because of how it was reacting to diseases, Mm -hmm. to food, to, you know, I I, I felt like my body was betraying me. I had Mm -hmm. a very uh, resentful um, feeling toward my body. And I don't even remember who recommended um, the TED Talk. Um, I think it's Lindsay Kite that does the TED Talk. And she talks about that. And she talks about how exhausting it is to especially as a woman in our culture, to be so focused on our appearance. And um, something struck a chord in me. And so I've started following these women and uh, following what they say. Their, Their mantra is, your body, our body is an instrument, not an ornament. And I love that. That's also become one of my own mantras. And I say that to myself quite often when Mm -hmm. I am um, in my journey to be healthy, not just physically healthy, but mentally healthy and emotionally healthy, um, I have to remind myself um, that I'm not here to be looked at. Um, I'm not here to be cute or pretty or whatever. There's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with being pretty and doing your makeup and your hair and having a great outfit, whatever. But that's not my purpose and that doesn't make me who I am. Um, there's more to me than that. And so for me personally, in my journey to get healthy, it was so great to instill those things into my, into my psyche and, and say, okay, I'm disconnecting from this, the, the physical so much because I felt like for so many years I've been battling with that physical and Mm -hmm. I've been battling with my weight and I've been battling with my diet and I've been battling with medications and disease and it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. And it can take over. It, it, it feels like it can take over your identity. Oh, for sure. And, and that's not who I am. That's just not who I am. I don't want to identify as Alicia, the autoimmune disease person, you know, right? <laughs> I, that's just not me. Are you saying there's more to you than that? Yes, yes. And so I love, love their work and their book, More Than a Body, really instills that. It it delves deep into a lot, a lot of things that are, I think every woman and and teenage girl should read this book. And and men too. I think men would benefit from this as well. It's just they focus a little bit more on women because we have a a pretty unhealthy... standards in our society. Right. And, um, you know, our bodies are, are meant to change over time. They are, they do incredible work for us. And so, um, what's their other one? They say self-esteem is not, or no body image. Good body image is not knowing that your body looks or isn't, isn't thinking that your body looks good, but it's knowing that your body is good. Hmm. And I thought, you know, that's, there's really something to that. Like, forget about what it looks like. Think about everything that's done to serve you. Think about everything that your body is doing. My body is doing its best to fight off these stupid autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. And I can either do things that are going to help it, or I can do things that are going to make it harder. Right. You know, and, and, and I need to be grateful. Your body has an incredible ability to heal if you will remove the roadblocks and allow it to do so. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like there are definitely mental roadblocks. It's not all physical. It's not all dietary, you know. Um, it, there's a lot of, of mental attached to it. So that's my that's my next phase. I figured out a lot of the physical. I'm working on the mental game now. Nice. When I have that figured out, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do another episode. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, Alicia, you can totally say no to this question. Okay. But I think shortly before we moved, you had had a surgery to remove breast implants. Is that correct? I have, yes. So did you want to talk about, so as you're talking here about uh, kind of being... Body you know, image, yes. Body image and kind of how that played into your journey. And because I also think that you had them removed for health reasons. Is that correct? Indeed, I sure did. Yes. I'm happy to address that. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, it's been a few years and I, and I haven't even really, I don't think about it anymore. It's great. Mm. Um, but yes. So if you think about somebody who is already inclined to autoimmune disease and then you put 
two large foreign objects inside your body and just go on with life and accept your and expect your body to accept those foreign objects. Right. Uh, it's kind of an absurd notion to me now. Mm-hmm. But um, at the time, you know, it's been now 12 and a half, 13 years ago or so that I got those implants. Always had, always was small. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm a tall girl. I'm a big girl. I and, and, and having no chest was always made me self-conscious. And oh, so okay. after three kids, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get my implants get some implants, you know, I thought about it. And I had decided I wasn't going to do it. And then one day, I did it, I just decided and I was going to do it. And I didn't do a whole lot of research. And I didn't think about it too much. I just did it. And, you know, now I'm just going to point out, were you in living in St. George at the time? I was, I was because okay, mm-hmm. that's kind of a place where there's a lot of that going on. Is that a correct? A lot? Yeah, I would say all of Utah, really. Oh, okay, there, I think there are more plastic surgeons per capita in Utah than than a lot, a lot, a lot of other places. It's a very, um, plastic surgery is a, is a very big business there. Do you know, I'm, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you think that is more driven by women or by men? Do you think it's women uh, trying to improve themselves and yep. feeling like they don't look good enough yep. rather than having any kind of pressure from a man in their life? Yep, I really okay. do. I, I just don't think that men care as much as women think they do about breast size. Do you know what's interesting? Because it comes from somewhere. It does. Like it's in the media or something like... Well, it is. It's definitely in the media. And you know, the media has shifted. And now smaller chests are more chic. They're more in right now. Hmm. But, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that was just not the case. It was Pamela Anderson. Absolutely. And so, and you know, I, nobody knew, nobody knew I had had implants because I did not get huge implants. I was a... Full C, small D cup, which for somebody my size looks completely natural, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it was just nobody would have guessed. And I am not going to lie that I was very happy with them. Mm. Um, I really liked how I filled out dresses, blouses, swimming suits, things that I was never able to fill out before and look normal in. I was mm-hmm. able to. And it was great. And I enjoyed that. Um my husband couldn't have cared less whether I got them or didn't. He was supportive of me no matter what I did. And um, I will say that my surgeon really pressed me to go bigger. And that was annoying. And hmm. I've put my foot down. I said, absolutely not. And um, But I've talked to numerous women who's who came out of surgery with bigger than they had asked for. And literally, like they went in mm-hmm. with an understanding of this yes. is what we were doing. And they came out with something else. Yep. That's weird. Isn't that crazy? That's wrong. Yes. Very wrong. Very wrong. I mean, selective surgery. Come on. Yes. It's not like I had to make this decision while you were out. Yes. And so, you know, it was really only a couple years after I got those done, after I got that done, that I started developing symptoms of autoimmune disease. It was Mm. um, a couple of years after that, that I got, that I finally figured out celiac disease. It was... Um, shortly after that, that I found the Hashimoto's and then, uh, a few years later it was fibromyalgia and I just felt like, okay, I was a perfectly healthy person, um, before I did this to my body. Mm. And, and from the time that I did it, my health just continually went downhill at a steady pace, which was very frustrating for me. And I never in a million years would have linked anything. And I'm not saying this caused it all. I don't know. I don't know. But I would never in a million years have thought that breast implants had anything to do with it. Um, I was very blessed to meet a woman who is now one of my dearest friends um, at 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 a girlfriend gathering that I had was we had some common friends. We started talking, breast implants came up. She said that she had had hers removed and they had caused her a lot of health problems. And mm. I, I remember literally rolling my eyes when she wasn't looking. <laughs> yeah, like she wasn't looking and I was like, oh my gosh, this lady's crazy, you know. And um, But I did remember that conversation. And so then we ended up developing a friendship. 
And probably six months later, we were talking and I was having this terrible autoimmune flare up at the time. I was just miserable. And she said, I know you don't want to hear this, but I really think you need to get your implants removed. Um, She said, they are terrible for for women with autoimmune disease. They're Mm. terrible for any woman because you're putting toxins into your body. And, and I said, uh, I don't know, this this sounds a little out there to me. And, you know, they're, they've been approved by the FDA or who, no, I guess not mm-hmm. FDA, but um, somebody, what's the AMA, the American Medical Association, maybe I, I don't that whatever the association, somebody approved yeah, it, it's been approved, right? It's been right. approved. <laughs> And hey, this passed somebody's test who wanted to get it done past the test. Exactly, exactly. And but at that point, I, you know, she was a good friend and she was saying this out of concern for me. And so I, I took it to heart. I started thinking about it. I started researching it. I started praying about it. I started uh, really, uh, I started looking into other women who had experienced breast implant illness. Mm-hmm. And boy, I had a lot of those symptoms. I had a lot of those symptoms of that. So I went ahead and um, started looking into removal. And, you know, it's a specific way you want to get it removed. Some doctors are just going to say, oh, we can just drain them and then right. remove them. And some doctors are are just going to take them out. But you have to have, um, you have to have, so your body will form scar tissue capsules around the implants over time. Those capsules are holding in all the toxins from the silicone that's been sitting in your body for years on end. Okay. And those capsules need to come out. Uh Um, If they don't come out, you are leaving basically all that scar tissue that's holding, uh, uh, it's just chock full of toxins. Mm -hmm. And so um, to find a doctor that is willing to do the surgery correctly is a little bit tricky. And um, I was blessed to find one. He was fantastic. He and his team were great. And I moved forward and got it done. And I, I can't deny it. There was definitely an emotional fallout from that. I mm-hmm. still have days where I think, oh, it would be so fantastic to uh, be able to fill out my swimming suit again. Or, mm-hmm. you know, just to look a little more proportional or whatnot. But 95% of the time, I just don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't care because it's unimportant. Um, breast size is unimportant. And I, I think over the years, I learned that. My sister and my mom both had breast cancer. They had mastectomies. There's just more to a woman than her breasts. You know, it's mm-hmm. just not a big deal. My husband loves me. He supported my decision to have them removed. He has supported me and my journey of health every step of the way. And I feel perfectly fine and worthy and feminine. It's not a problem. Um, but there are those days where I think, oh man, (laughs) it Mm -hmm. would sure be nice to fill something out a little bit better. (laughs) Um, right. But I think that that was really the pinnacle. That surgery was the pinnacle of me saying, I have to take my health into my own hands. Right. And that from that surgery is really when I started getting serious about treating my autoimmune disease. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, breast implant illness is a very real thing. And, um, I, I'm not shy to talk about it anymore. I feel like there are women out there that need to hear it and it's, nobody's going to want to hear it. If you have implants and you're happy with them, you're not going to want to hear it. Right. Especially if you have health problems. Um, again, I'm not saying that they caused them. I'm sure there are some women who are perfectly healthy with their implants and Mm -hmm. good for them. Um, but as I said at the beginning of that to- of this topic, it's kind of absurd. If you have autoimmune issues, it's absurd to expect your body to just accept large foreign objects sitting right. inside of it. Well, really, anybody. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean th- that's the whole purpose of our body. You know, we've got skin. Mm-hmm. We've got all these things that are trying to keep out foreign objects. Yes. And even have a way to, you know, we've got our immune system and everything that's trying to to like excrete anything that's not supposed to be in there. Yes. And then you do something like that. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the same time, you know, our drive to be able to look a certain way mm-hmm. and to be able to meet our own expectations, whether we think it's 
someone else's expectation of us or our own expectations. If, then we take other people's expectations onto us as far as how we're supposed to look. Yes. Um, we can, it can really have a lot of problems in getting away from your happiness and, you know, kind of on a spiritual level, you know, we want to be an instrument. We don't want to be an ornament. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find, going back to talking about your character and your and your self-respect, that's not going to be in from the way that you look. No. No, not at all. So on a lighter topic, do you want to talk about making holiday fudge? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that just so contradictory to what I've been saying? However, I absolutely have plans to do it. <laughs> There are some traditions that are worth keeping. And if it's once a year, I'm not going to beat myself up about making fudge once a year. So, right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, so are you still doing, are you selling fudge online this, this Christmas? Or? I am not actively selling. I will happily make and sell to those who reach out to me, but I am not putting forth any effort to get orders. Okay. Um, so, I do have a handful of, of friends who it's just kind of a tradition now to them every year to have fudge. And so I'm their source. Uh, so, and I'm happy to do that. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I love to do that. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, I, I have decided I don't want to, um, I don't want to have candy making be a major facet of my holiday season. Okay. So it's, it is tradition. My mother taught me. Um, I, I can't even be humble. I make some really good fudge. And <laughs> so I will be making fudge and I give away 95% of it. So mm-hmm. it all goes on goodie plates and gets given to friends and neighbors. And, um, you know, we send it to our, to some friends and, and family members that expect it every year. And, and that's pretty much it. I can't eat it anymore anyway because it's full of dairy. So, okay. and that's fine. I don't even feel sad about it really, which is, which is interesting. Um, I can I can do a little taste to make sure it tastes right and it turned out okay, but I can't I can't just munch on it. So, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. That's I I'm I'm past that. But I will be making fudge. I will be making caramels. I will be making toffee. Um, <laughs> Okay. And then I won't do any of that again for another year. So moderation, moderation in all things. That's the key. So much great stuff in there. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. I really loved how she talked about how she doesn't feel deprived anymore. And to me, that's the mark of real change. And sometimes we can feel like when we have something unexpected happen in our life, that, that it's something that we don't want and it's never going to get any better. I, I can feel this way. I fall into this trap of, I feel like something happens and then I put my life on a one-way ticket to never going to be happy. You've wasted your whole life. And by the way, you're a failureville. Now, if only I could have that same faith in, in a good thing that I do or, or a good thing that happens in my life, booking my package to never going to have to struggle. Everything will be as you always dreamed. And now you can stop working town. Well, the truth is you can't book passage. You can't buy a ticket. The only transportation we have in this life is putting one foot in front of the other. And we can take three steps forward and one step back and we can still get to where we want to be. And even better, while you're on that walk, you can take the time to realize how beautiful the path is that you're already on. If there's a change in your life that you want to make that you've been avoiding because you're afraid you're going to fail, because you've tried before and you've given up, I want to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you to look at your failures in a different way and realizing that failure is only failure if we don't learn. It's only failure if we give up and we stop trying. It's all part of the process of learning. And because we're not trying to change just once, we're trying to change ourselves. And I know that if we keep working, we can get it figured out.